there are products that we as architects should be and could be working on to span the gap between technology and physical product. And we're not involved in those conversations and we're not doing it, we're not building it. I don't know why. Hello and welcome to Teta Tet, the Rice Architecture Podcast Series. We are your co-host Anna Cook and Yang Tian Yan, and today's episode features a Rice alumna, Renee Graham, who is using her architectural education to pursue multiple fields of design, including architecture and product design. She's a 20 to 2021 Tory Birch Fellow, a 2020 South by Southwest Beach finalist, and a 2020 Mass Challenge founder. She designs at different scales, from makeup boxes to dwellings, and is the founder and CEO of a successful startup company. We're excited to share a conversation recorded last fall with Renee about different aspects of design and how she promotes equality in her work. Let's get started. Renee, you are a licensed architect with an architectural practice called Laurel House Studio and a real estate development company called BCS Modern Development, both located in Bryan, Texas. You're also the founder and CEO of Renzo Box, a successful product design business. In addition, you are an adjunct professor at the University of Texas School of Architecture, as well as a visiting critic at Texas A&M College of Architecture. Can you tell us more about these roles and how you feel your architectural education prepared you to work in these different capacities? Yes, absolutely. First of all, thank you guys so much for having me here. Yeah, I've, I wear quite a few hats, as, as you mentioned, and uh, they're all obviously design related and all of them have different aspects of design that I'm very interested in and address design and architecture in um, very different ways. Uh, to answer your, your question about um, how architectural education prepared me for each of these, in general, I would say that an architectural education really provides a mix of both uh, practical thinking and logical thinking and training in both of these. And it's mixed with like a creative sort of ideological thinking. And both of these aspects are necessary when you're thinking about design across these different scales and in these different industries. So they're all related, right? Product design is related to architecture, is related to real estate development. And so I think about design across these different industries as a way to push the envelope, essentially. I mean, if you think about it, design itself is a form of rejecting a current reality and saying, we're not going to do it like this. I want to expand upon that reality or revolt against the reality or whatever whatever the case might be and say, there's, there's an opportunity for something better here. There's an opportunity to expand. And I think that um, architectural education really emphasizes that. Uh, but in a way that's not just like, you know, let's point out a problem or, or point out something that we don't like and just criticize it. But like, let's think about different possibilities of what it could be. So that's the first thing. That's the sort of ideological sort of creative thinking. But then on the other side of it, I mentioned, you know, this kind of like practical and logical thinking. So there's, there's the ideation, but then there's also the execution. You know, like, okay, now that I've come up with these, you know, myriad of ideas, we've iterated on all these possibilities, um, how do we actually execute that? Um, at the end of the day, you know, architecture, you know, it, it lives in multiple forms, including like a digital form, but it also lives in a very physical form as well. And both of those are realities that we today live in, right? We live in a physical environment, but we also live in, in a digital world. 
And the fact that we get to execute ideate in both of these is something that, that I think has really helped me in kind of like cross-boundary thinking, if that makes sense. So we're curious then, among all of this, what aspects do you most enjoy in niche and what are the most challenging? Uh, so in the field of architecture itself, you know, I love the creative aspect. I love working with clients. I love talking through their visions and helping them bring their visions to life. The challenging part of, of architecture, I would have to say, uh, the realization that the gender divide within the industry is something that is a greater uphill challenge than I thought. When I was y'all's age, when I was in school, when I was at RSA, it wasn't something that was talked about ever. <laughs> um, and it's really strange because as soon as you get out into the real world, it's very apparent. And the fact that we never addressed it um, in school is something that, you know, it kind of came as, as sort of a shock. I would say my generation has helped bring more women into the, into the industry. And I think it'll be the next generation that proliferates within the practice in a way where we see women as builders of our society, of the physical environment, I should say. We'll actually come back to the segment in the next few minutes. Um, yeah. Can you discuss design at different scales and how they relate and how they might differ? Yeah, they're actually quite related. I would say that one of the biggest things I've learned from, you know, designing buildings that occupy several city blocks versus designing Renzo box, which fits, you know, in your hand, is attention to detail. <laughs> um, they're different approaches to it, obviously, and different skill sets that are needed. For example, in Renzo Box, every tiny little radius, that's like the hundredth of a millimeter. Uh, these are these are kinds of like the tolerances that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, that slight variation um, in tolerances can, can mean like the clasp works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So uh, these kinds of things are really important. And how they differ, I mean, is obviously like when you get to a sort of uh, building scale, there's impact that that building has beyond its own site, right? There's the landscape that it sits within and it has this sort of effect in the community around it. And I would say that's kind of the big difference that I see is that, you know, when you're designing a building, you're thinking about the surrounding environment more and their aspects that deal with the city, the community that are not even necessarily related to, to the functionality of the object itself, but more of like how it fits into that landscape, you know, maybe even like, like political aspects that exist, right? Those are some of the, the big differentiations I've seen. Yeah, thanks. So let's talk a little bit more about Renzo Box and product design. Um, so if you want to tell us more about like your vision for Renzo Box and how that came about, but also your involvement in the startup community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Renzo Box is the best way for you to combine your beloved makeup products, no matter what brand, into one single compact. Um, the idea actually came to me when I was at Rice. Um, I worked while I was in school at Rice, and I would always carry my makeup bag with me. I was always trying to be as efficient as possible with my makeup and the, the idea of having a makeup bag and like dumping all these things out, like it was just part of my sort of routine. And one day I was looking at it and realizing, you know, 
the amount of products that I'm carrying, the packaging and the bulk of what I'm having to carry around versus the amount of makeup I'm putting on my face, that delta is too great. That margin is, it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I have this palette that has 12 shades in it, but I'm only really using two. Why do I need to carry all this stuff around? And so that was the genesis of the idea. And as you guys know, like the basis of it is really modular design, which is very much part of uh, architectural thinking. Sure. Um, so I'm not breaking any boundaries there, <laughs> uh, but it's more of like a, the application of that in um, the cosmetics and the beauty industry and how that can lead to, you know, reduction of waste, reduction of bulk, um, that kind of like highly customized, highly nuanced uh, sort of routine. Because uh, when it comes to makeup, it's very much mix and match. Part of the, the key insight is that on average, women wear six products from five different brands. Even if you if one brand were to create a palette, you know, sort of interchangeable palette, it would only be of their brand products, uh, which doesn't match consumer behavior. So the idea of creating a more universal system and a more universal sort of modular system is what Renzo Box is really all about. The startup community is a really interesting community. It's been really fun to dive into it specifically for a product. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a 2020 Tory Burch fellow. Tory Burch is a, a internationally well-respected um, fashion designer based out of New York. And she has a fellowship for female entrepreneurs. And that has been amazing because even more so in the startup community, the gender divide is worse in the entrepreneurial world, which I didn't know that going into it, right? I just, I started a company to solve a problem. So the startup community, but has been really addressing this. And I think having that community within the Tory Birch Fellowship, um, I'm based here in Austin, Texas, and there's a very big startup community here as well. You know, being in a startup is about solving a problem for the masses, right? It's like architectural is a service that would solve it for a very specific, you know, client or a very specific purpose versus, you know, startup is about solving it for like a, a large group of people. I mean, if you think about it, the process in architecture, we work on designs and iterations and go through the process of schematic design, design development, construction documents, permitting, all these sorts of things. And then it gets released and revealed through the building object, right? Like as it's constructed and it's almost the opposite. It's like the inverse in the startup world because you want to prove the problem and prove that your idea solves the problem as quick as possible. So there's this concept of a minimum viable product where you want to create the absolute minimum of what it is that you need to prove that it is a problem and that you do have a product that can help solve that problem that people are willing to pay for it or they're willing to you know, interact and, and whatever and it solves their problem. So um, that was kind of an inverse process of thinking that I had to learn. But it's been super fun. I, I love it. It involves a lot of other aspects in terms of like marketing and fundraising and, and learning how to deal with investors and all that kind of stuff that um, wasn't quite the same in architecture. So. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about the inverted relationship. Then we're wondering, you obviously had a vision about rental box or other practices. Is there always a difference between your vision and the final product? And do you have to compromise often in this process? Um, so far, I would say that I'm on path to realizing the vision. The full vision is not yet realized. We're in a stage. Um, I wouldn't say that it's so much, it hasn't been a compromise just yet, although there are other paths that I could take in order to realize the vision. Another key concept that I learned um, from the startup community, specifically from a very famous uh, accelerator on the West Coast, I learned that you got to do the thing that doesn't scale in the beginning 
because it's about delighting the customer and testing out those initial issues and like testing out the solutions. And um, sometimes those tests aren't the exact version of what you want in the end, but it's a way to get that test done. So I would say that I've made compromises in that aspect. Like I would test things out in a way that I hadn't envisioned before. But overall, the big vision for Renzobox is still on track. And it's still about that kind of universal modular system. Um, it's still about, you know, a hardware component. And actually, there's, there's a larger vision of it that includes a software component, which is basically like a digital curation tool. So when it's time to reorder the pods, the modular units, being able to build um, and configure your Renzobox and you know, mix and match different things and then maybe like save a digital version of that palette that you could then share with your friend and this sort of thing. So the vision has has like expanded and grown, but it's all been related to right to that to that initial concept. So we we've discussed the challenges specifically relating to gender diversity and higher level positions in architecture. So with that being said, what advice regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion do you have for us as designers who will soon be entering the workforce? Yeah, I mean, I think that more than anything for you guys, and I think you're already there, it's the recognition of it, first of all. It's like just having the knowledge that, hey, wait a second, whoa, this isn't this isn't quite right. <laughs> you know, like I said, when I got out of school, I didn't even know. No one told me. So the fact that you recognize it at this early stage in your career, even before you're kind of launching your careers, like that's really important. And then as you're entering the workforce, I would say, you know, it's something to, to kind of keep your eye on and it's something to kind of like ask the questions. And if there seems that there are things that aren't, you know, um, where, where quality is not being promoted or where there's a continuation of, of a previous path, it's okay to ask the question. It's okay to have a conversation about it and to not be scared about that. I do think there are professional and unprofessional ways to do it. We have a really wonderful group of, of women in architecture that meet uh, monthly here in Austin, um, very strong community. And one of the things that we talk about is, do we really want this label as women in architecture? For example, there was uh, a couple months back, there was a woman who won like best female chef. Like who wants to be recognized as the best female chef? She doesn't want that. She wants to be recognized as the best chef, period. <laughs> and that's sort of the same thing in architecture, right? That it's like, it's not about, I don't, I don't want to be recognized as the best female designer. No, I want to be recognized as the best designer, period, in whatever category it might be. I think initially the priority is is about recognizing, again, women as equally partaking as great builders in, in our society, as great builders of our built environment, but then also seeing that it's not just about labeling us as women. Like at some point we want to remove all of that. We don't have to have that discussion anymore. And more specifically, how do you promote equality in your own work, your own practices? Um, I have, again, this is my internal knowledge. Uh, I know that we have just as many men as women graduating within the field of architecture and entering the workforce. And so what that means to me is that statistically speaking, there are excellent females and males out there to be hired for projects. And so I keep that in mind when I'm out there reviewing resumes, when I'm looking at projects and like, how can I add to the team and that sort of thing. It should be equal representation because we're just as well educated and have the same experience in the field. So it needs to reflect that in, in the hiring. Yeah, absolutely. So as we know, 2020 has been a very strange year. So it has been <laughs> in many ways. 
So to address that, how have your businesses been adapting to the pandemic? So Rent-A-Box has been my primary focus and we were in the midst of raising the next round of fundraising whenever uh, the pandemic hit. So I was a finalist to pitch at South by Southwest and that was basically my, was hoping to wrap up my fundraising for the next round of investment at that event. But of course, as you guys know, that was like the first major international event that was canceled um, Mm -hmm. here in the United States. And that was a big blow. I mean, it was, it was like that event was canceled and then, you know, two days later, we all went into, into quarantine. So it required me to kind of pivot a bit and think about what kind of growth and what kind of progress can you make even during a pandemic? Um, What can you do when, you know, there's this sort of stay home economy and beauty, the beauty industries has suffered overall. There's been decline, like skincare is up, but color cosmetics is down. Uh, But there's speculation, actually there's projection that um, color cosmetics will come back up because it always does um, and actually does really well in um, economic hard times. But it's kind of, it's about adapting, right? And it's about like looking at what progress can be made. So for Renzo Box, that was a lot of, of back building and things. So we worked on the technology side. So one of the things that happened in the beauty industry is because retail establishments were closed, it, you know, it was that 87% of beauty purchases were done in, in traditional brick and mortar establishments, but that had to change immediately if these, if these companies were going to survive. So beauty shopping online is up by 300%. Um, and now consumers are recognizing like, okay, we need to, find alternative means to purchasing these products. So uh, that meant for Renzo Box, really kind of doubling down and thinking about what is the digital strategy? What is the technology strategy behind our configuration tool? And let's build that out and show value to the brands in that aspect. So um, it hasn't been launched yet, but we have um, a palette like that palette builder configuration tool that will help with the ordering process. Um, and it also provided an opportunity for us to, to approach different brands because they're looking for new digitally enabled um, outlets. Uh, when it comes to Laurel House Studio and to BCS Modern, Laurel House, we actually picked up a couple of projects. There's been interesting, there's been a lot of demand for ADUs for accessory dwelling units, right? Like people looking for secondary structures on their lot to act as like a work from home sort of office. And yeah, there's, there's been opportunities for, for BCS Modern as well um, because interest rates are super low. So BCS Modern, right, we're, we're developing our own projects, which means we have to find the construction financing and um, financing construction is, is at all time lows when it comes to uh, working with banks. So there's silver lining to everything. Um, is it the ideal scenario for anybody? No, absolutely not. But there are always ways to, to progress. Yeah, thank you for your insights. Um, the last question that we have is, what's next? What's the long-term goal in five years or 10 years? Would you mind sharing with us? Yeah. Uh, sure. So my five-year goal for Renzo Box is very big. <laughs> um, I see Renzo Box in the same way that you might see Uber or Airbnb. Um, it has that kind of growth potential. So that's where I see Renzo Box. <laughs> um, and when that happens, I'll have a lot of decisions to make in terms of, do I want to stay on and run this company or is there something is there something else uh, that that could, could lead to, you know, something something greater or different along the along the road i will say that learning about the startup community and learning about uh how how it works how companies are grown um i didn't i didn't have that knowledge base prior to this right i'm working on singular architectural projects not on these like huge sort of companies um i've recognized opportunity within 
our industry, within the architectural engineering construction industry, that there are products that we as architects should be and could be working on to span the gap between, you know, technology and physical product. And we're not involved in those conversations and we're not doing it. We're not building it. I don't know why. So that's something that's been on my mind <laughs> is like, uh, and, and, and both of you are probably very well aware of this in terms of, of being in school right now, there is a uh, heavy emphasis on digital design. Um, this is part of our future. This is part of our now. And this is part of our future for sure. But then how do we implement you know, all of these really sophisticated design techniques into the built environment. Um, and, and like I said, in the very beginning, that execution aspect of it, right? Um, how do we realize these into built structures? Um, that's the most complicated and uh, necessary problem for us to figure out. And I think that as architects, we need to be part of the conversation of bridging that gap even more so than we are right now. And maybe I'll get involved in that, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So those are all the questions we have for you. Do you have any further wrap-up comments or anything else you want to leave us with? No, absolutely. I, I do. I think, you know, as, as young designers, as future architects, you know, I would, I would love to, I don't, I don't know, I'm assuming it's a lot of students who listen to the Rice School of Architecture podcast. So I'd like to leave it on a note of hope and inspiration, which is that your career can take you in a lot of different places and that design is needed across a lot of different fields. And architecture, when it comes to a profession and a business, is intrinsically tied to the construction industry and the real estate industry right? Which is intrinsically tied to the economy. I graduated Rice in 2010 and that was at the, it was at the housing crisis. There were no jobs um, uh, in, in architecture because of the state of the economy. And that's something that as you get out in the world, you're going to, you're going to realize like there is such heavy ebb and flow. Um, but I, I encourage you to really capitalize and think about your your knowledge base of what you have learned. Architects are exquisitely trained in a lot of things that are applicable in UX design, um, that are it's applicable in, you know, all kinds of, of fields and technology. So think you can think outside the box and apply architecture in all these different ways. And I hope that I can be an example to that, um, not only in just the practice of, of traditional architectural services, but real estate development, you know, where you get on onto the, the business side of buildings, um, you know, product design, whether it's, you know, it could be furniture, it could be a beauty product. I had zero interest in being in the beauty industry prior to this, right? So you can evolve and you can grow and you can try these different things. And I highly encourage you, you know, you guys to, to think creatively and explore those boundaries. Yeah, thank you for um, all of your insights and your comments and your advice to us. Thank you so much for having me. For more information on Renee and her work, please visit renzobox.com or find renzobox on Instagram. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platforms to keep up with new releases. We are your co-host and this has been Teta Tet.